Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Applied Innovation Podcast, the, the New York edition. This is Samantha Burden here and Peter Malouf, part of the New York Applied Innovation Exchange team. And today we are very excited to be joined by Natasha Frank from Eon Group. Um, Natasha, would you mind just introducing yourself? Yeah. Hi. Um, I'm Natasha. I'm founder and CEO of Eon. We are the leading digital identity platform for fashion and retail. Awesome. Thanks. So I think, I mean, we've got a lot of activities coming up mm-hmm. around retail, specifically in New York with the National Retail Federation coming up in January. So we've been talking a lot, particularly about these types of topics, specifically technology in the fashion mm-hmm. industry. And so that's why we're really excited to have you here today, because one of the, the trends that we see coming up a lot in fashion and retail um, and even other areas is sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and consumers are starting to care way more about it than they, they ever have. And so are companies. And they're starting to notice that there is a true business impact and benefit to being more um, sustainable and just more environmentally conscious. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, you know, when we talk about the circular economy and mm-hmm. how it means to fashion about, you know, not only making clothing with um, materials that can be recycled and reused, mm-hmm. uh, reused, but like, what does that entire loop look like? Mm-hmm. Because typically in fashion, it's a very linear, mm-hmm. um, you know, process or life, life, life cycle, but not mm-hmm. a cycle. Um, so, could you talk a little bit more about your solution or, or your that digital thread mm-hmm. and how that, you know, plays into the circular economy um, and how you're kind of helping drive that forward? Yeah. I think you're absolutely right in that sustainability and circular economy are really driving the fashion industry in terms of fundamental business model transformation. Mm-hmm. It's not just about um, checking a box anymore. It's really how do you embed sustainability and circular economy into every aspect of your business. And so circular economy, to define it, is about keeping products and materials in flow. So it's about mm-hmm. how to reuse products, how to um, rent products, how to recycle products, and make sure that products and materials are continued to be used across the life cycle. And for businesses right now, it's very hard to manage that or to even facilitate that. Brands have historically identified products in the supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. They use an RFID tag or a barcode, and they, they ID the products because they want to manage the products. Mm-hmm. But then they remove that ID tag and they sell the products. And without any way any form of identification, it's very hard, if not impossible, to manage those products through new business models, through recycling, through rental. And to give you a a concrete kind of example of that, in order to recycle a product, you need to know the material content. Mm -hmm. Today, products don't have a way to instantly ID access the level of material content that you need to recycle a product. So they can't be sorted to be recycled. In order to resell a product, you need to have all of that data on the re-commerce site to be able to sell that. So re-commerce players today are manually importing all this data and typing information and trying to guess what product it is and trying to authenticate it. And there's no infrastructure. There's no digital infrastructure to support the movement or management of products after point of sale. And so that's also a huge lost opportunity for brands because they lose contact with their customers the moment that they sell the product. And so this transition from selling a product to actually connecting with your customer and, and selling them a service. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. is about the continued, you know, extension of intelligence beyond point of sale. Uh, so what we do as a company is we work with global brands and retailers to introduce that connectivity into their products such that their digital intelligence today, which stops at point of sale, mm-hmm. can be extended beyond. And that enables them to, one, power new business models and and manage that product through resale, through rental, through recycling, you know, mm-hmm. through customer engagement, through a digital wardrobe. And it enables them to now have a lot of visibility and connectivity to that customer after point of sale um, and really unlock that end-to-end digital transformation that a lot of brands are looking for. Yeah, because even now, I mean, it's so important for them, not only in um, kind of making their current processes like you just described mm-hmm. and their supply chain more efficient, mm-hmm. but also then that secondary market, like when you talk about you know, the Poshmarks mm-hmm. now of the world and, you know, the, the real, real mm-hmm. or, or companies like that, that are, you know, people are now looking to, to recycle or buy used clothes mm-hmm. kind of on their own. And these brands are totally missing out, mm-hmm. um, you know, from a monetary perspective. So, you know, now I know that so many, so many companies are doing this where you can go back and you can bring your, you know, if it's, you bring your old jeans mm-hmm. and they'll give you like 20% off. Yes. So they're kind of seeing that, you know, not only can they make, uh, that current, like you just described, mm-hmm. the supply chain process better, but then they can own also the secondary market through, exactly. through that. And so we we work with a lot of brands that have launched those business models, but mm-hmm. struggle to manage those business models, mm-hmm. right? All of a sudden now you're getting a huge influx of product back. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what is this product? What season did it come out in? What's the e-commerce original description? What photos of this product should we use? Right. And as companies are moving to operationalize either their own circular economy business models or they've partnered with a third party, yeah. you know, let's say they've partnered with the real real or they've partnered with Yertle, they want to build that what we call digital connective tissue between those parties. So what our platform allows them to do and why we've built something called the circular ID standard mm-hmm. is we've standard that structure of what data do you need to embed on a product across the life cycle such that that product can consistently one communicate internally. And also let's say that product arrives at a reseller. They can ID it if you've given them, you know, the permissions or the recycler can sort it and you can access that data feedback loop back. And basically in a circular economy where everything is interconnected, you need to be able to exchange data, both mm-hmm. to the benefit of the brands, to the benefit of the customer, and to the benefit of the ecosystem at large. Um, because a connected product is only connected if it can speak to different players. Yeah. So the interesting thing about circular economy is, and, and connectivity, you have to solve for the interconnectivity of all of it. Um, and so that's why, you know, really for the past year, we dedicated to developing this standard that enabled this cross-company communication for the first time. So let's talk Three a little products. bit. Let's yeah. talk about that a little bit more because there's two things that I hear happening. One is um, brands have an ambition to be mm-hmm. more sustainable and, mm-hmm. and certainly to be able to to do better things because their customers are expecting it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the secondary market aspect, mm-hmm. um, and it sounds like you guys are really enablers. So thinking mm-hmm. through everything yeah. that has to happen, you know, further downstream mm-hmm. and kind of looping it back in. Um, so, you know, in addition to those things, what, uh, how did you get here? Because mm-hmm. um, I know that you, you've been working on this standard. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you get from, you know, where you were previously to like working on the standard? Yeah. So my background was in smart cities. 
and basically looking at kind of macro level systems for cities, whether it was related to Internet of Things technology, um, sustainability for cities, and, and how to you know use technology to design smart infrastructure. And when you're looking at cities, everything is interconnected. Right. And then as you start to look at and how an industry plugs into a city, there's no connections there and there's no ability to communicate. So one of the things at a city level we were always struggling to solve for was waste management. Sure. And it wasn't even waste. It was just management of products. Billions of textiles go here. And we couldn't ID anything, so we couldn't manage them. You know, And so this idea of I was like, wow, if we could identify everything, we could manage everything. You know, people say waste is just a resource that's unidentified. Right. Yeah. right? I like that. True. Yeah. It was a resource. Now it's mixed up with all this other stuff. No one can separate it. It's inefficient. You don't have any of the information that makes that product an asset. So this idea of taking products, simple products, and turning them into intelligent assets is the key to then managing them through this, our global infrastructure. Right. And if you think about what we've created in the, the linear economy or the supply chain today from production to point of sale, it's so efficient because everything is identified. Right. Can you imagine trying to sell products without the barcode? Yeah. <laughs> We'd be like, what? Yeah. Without an RFID tag? Yet, when we look at circular economy, we're like, oh, no, we're just going to make it happen. But no one IDs anything. Right. So it's actually a global impossibility without identity to have a circular economy. Wow. Yeah, And that's so taking, you know, having learned the lesson from like yeah. uh, cellular technology, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the United States came up with a bunch of different carriers. Yeah. And so there's not interoperability for phones because right. if you got a phone on the Sprint network, it's not going to work on the AT&T right. network or whatever. So what... I heard you saying is that the interoperability or getting an understanding or having this kind of mm -hmm. digital standard will help irrespective of where you are in the chain, you'll be able to understand and, and get the data from the, from the material. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's interoperability is the right word, although it's like one that we try not to use with too many people because it's so big. <laughs> <Right. and Yeah. laughs> but yeah, like if you look at the value of IOT, 40 to 60% of it to capture the value for companies requires interoperability. Right. Like a company does not receive the benefit of IoT unless there's interoperability. So it's really interesting to see companies invest in connectivity without actually having interoperability because then they truly have no connectivity. Right, it's centrally connected. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for us, we to deliver our clients and partners maximum value, we were like, we need to solve for interoperability. Otherwise, we can only deliver you a fraction of the original value that you would have set out to capture. Right. So, and then this idea of a standard, how are you doing that? I mean, most mm -hmm. of the time people think of this as kind of governmental or quasi-governmental. Yeah. How are you taking on this idea of creating a standard yeah. for the data and what all is involved with that? Yeah. So basically, we asked ourselves a few questions. What data is most essential to have on a product to manage that product through continued circulation, right? Whether it be resale, rental, mm -hmm. and regeneration. Okay. So there's in circular economy, there's or new business models or whatever. There's kind of two functions. There's how do we keep that same that product as a whole in circulation, and then how do we regenerate the materials of that product? And so in order for this shirt to be able to manage to be managed through those processes, it needs a certain amount of data. And we wanted to say, what is the most essential data and how should 
those essential data requirements be structured. Okay. So, for example, in order to resell a product, one of the most important criteria is original MSRP. Oh, okay. If you look, whenever you're shopping on a secondhand site, MSRP, and you see the right. price you could get it at versus that, that traditionally doesn't seem like a bit of sustainability data. Right. Yeah. But it's actually one of the most crucial data points to manage a product through resale. And that managing a product through resale is the most sustainable thing before you can, you know, right. before you let a consumer give it up or throw it away. Dispose it, yeah. Right. And so, so interesting. you know, getting those data points, and we did that, we built that by creating an industry-wide initiative okay. called the Circularity Initiative. And we brought in brand partners like H&M and PBH and, and Target and um, resale partners like the Renewal Workshop, um, sorting and resale partners like ICO and Waste Management. Um, and basically, and uh, technology partners like Microsoft and SAP and GS1, the organization behind right. Barcode. And so for the past year, we worked with that industry consortium and we developed about so you created that consortium yeah we you created pulled all the, the public private yes, all of those wow exactly. okay wow. nyc edc we pulled together all those stakeholders and for the past year worked with them and interviewing other external partners to say hey reseller what data do you need and through all of that actually asking these circular economy stakeholders what data they need we then synthesize that back into the circular id standard and then we went back to the brands that were part of it and beyond. And we said, where does that data exist in your system today? Or does it exist? Yeah, or <laughs> does it exist? Yeah. And oftentimes it actually already does exist. Yeah. So the circular ID standard in essence now is structured in two parts. There's the product ID. How do you identify this product in its totality? Right. And then there's also the material ID, the, the material components. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. So together, mm -hmm. the product ID and the material ID create the circular ID. And we'll be, and then we went through an industry-wide peer review process, um, supported by CNA Foundation, and we um, will launch the standard in January. How many data elements are you? I capturing? think it's about forty-five points in wow. total. Um, but we can basically distill <laughs> it. You know, we through this pilot process now we'll be rolling out the first circular ID projects um, starting in January. We will basically be you know, figuring out which ones of those are the easiest for brands to fill out and which ones of those are the hardest. Okay. You know, because where we, the product the product ID we can fill out, right? Because right. that's all the data the brands already have. It's just not associated with the product the moment that product leaves. Mm -hmm. Of the material ID, there's things like zip, uh, zipper type, which is so important to recycling. Sure. Thread type. You need to know, you can't have cotton with a polyester thread and then put it in the cotton recycling. Okay. So those detailed components, which are important for the material generation process, some brands will be only able to fill out to a certain percent, but that will grow in time. And at least we've given the brands to say, this is the information you should be looking for. Because people didn't even know that when we started. Yeah. They didn't know what data should we marry to a product to communicate with these stakeholders. or And oftentimes they're partnerships, right? right. The brand is has built a white box resale program. And Eileen Fisher is running that resale program themselves, which is growing dramatically and profitable. These resale businesses are profitable. And so a lot of um, companies are investing in that. So, think, sorry, go ahead, Sam. No, sorry. So you, you named some of the companies that you've been working with. And I, I'm recognizing some of the, the names, obviously. But I'm, I'm just thinking, 
do you see, because a lot of them sounded more in the, if I break down fashion, mm -hmm. like the fast fashion type companies, mm -hmm. do you see this um, like having more of an impact or being adopted faster in those types of companies than the like high end, you know, before this, we're talking about Hermes or, because mm -hmm. I, I feel like fashion, it's a tricky industry because it's, it's like an art and like it's mm -hmm. will people or designers, you know, retailers, consumers, designers, everyone in this value chain be willing to like give up part mm -hmm. of that art or be willing to not shop somewhere or not buy certain things because it's not um, sustainable or because it, you know, I, and we're going through this process. Do you see, so do you see like those higher end retailers mm -hmm. um, or brands like, getting into this as well? Yeah. Or is it more so those like fast fashion companies? Great question. So originally it was just when we were starting, we were a startup. So we didn't have a lot of relationships. We were, we had this idea of every product needs an identity. And we were saying, who sees this with us? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we just by happenstance didn't have as many relationships with luxury brands, but actually that is where this makes the most sense to be yeah. scaled out and rolled out um, initially. And, and now we will be in the next few months starting to announce some partnerships in that space um, with luxury brands and retailers who are either supporting their products through new business models, want to take control of the second market of their product, and also build that one-to-one -one relationship with that customer through mm -hmm. the product, right? Mm -hmm. When you buy a luxury product, you're buying an asset. Yeah. And how if you're buying an asset, that product should have an identity. So these principles of identity and asset really marry well together with the luxury market yeah. um, and offer the customer a lot of value. I think now when people buy a luxury item, they're thinking about that item as an asset. What is the value of that product? Um, and let's say I don't want that product anymore. I may look to resell it, but that means that if it has this idea, I can maximize that value and then I can, you know, so yeah. people are actually thinking of these pieces as investments. Um, and so the ID helps that product keep that investment. Right. It Much holds more. on to that quality. Yeah. And also that relationship now that, that you can bring that back in, it can be ID, you can get it repaired, you know, building that ongoing rapport with the customer through the product, I think is just, quite frankly, like a no-brainer yeah. for, for luxury. Right. Yeah. I mean, the luxury resale business, I think, is $60 yeah. billion. Dollars. The fraudulent mm. market is, it dwarfs that. I think it might be, mm. you know, um, 300 billion, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot at stake here yeah. from that. How do you guys monetize your platform? How yeah. did you, you know, come into this? I mean, I can understand the yeah. um, altruistic aspect of it, mm -hmm. uh, yet you're a for-profit mm -hmm. concern, right? Mm -hmm. So how are you, how are you monetizing yeah. your platform? So we introduced the platform as a SaaS. So basically, we work with brands to create digital identities, roll out volume of digital identities. Our focus, unlike a lot of startups, is really enabling the creation of digital identities from the existing enterprise tech stack. Okay. So how do you avoid manual entry of data into the Eon platform and rather just integrate with the ERP and bring in that data from there? Okay. So we're very focused on enterprise tech integrations and creating basically a single source of data truth for the brands around that product ID and then giving that data, you know, IOT functionality by marrying that to the product. And then, so we charge as, as a SaaS based on, you know, volume of digital identities, okay. users in the, in the company on the platform. And then we basically work as part of our mission because we're really building a network. So we focus on then also building end to end. I'd say a lot of IoT platforms aren't necessarily industry specific and are not end to end. 
You know, so we're building the connection points between the brand and resellers, between the brands and their recycling partners, between the brand and their rental partners, or even their retailers. So our focus is very much end to end in building those channels for the brands that we partner with. Okay. That makes sense. That's awesome. It's a telephone for them and their partners. Right. But <laughs> yeah, the more connected, the better. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to take just a step back mm-hmm. even further from your days from um, being part of Smart Cities. Mm-hmm. You went to University of Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Um, Soria Darabi also went to Georgetown. Yeah. What is it about Georgetown that <laughs> yeah. is turning strong women entrepreneurs out of that school? What school did you go to at, at Georgetown? Um, what was your I was in the college. Okay. Um, that I admire the SFS the most. Those are the, the cool, smart kids. Right. Uh, that's the School of Foreign Service. Which one are you in? I didn't go to Georgetown. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh. Um, my um, brother-in-law oh, went there. But Soria, oh, okay. yeah, Soria Darabi is, um, she's uh, the VC that's head of um, uh, Trail Mix. Okay. Venture Cap. So she okay. does health and wellness. Oh, cool. um, But she came out of Georgetown in the J School, the journalism oh, school. okay. And... Um, went from there and was the head of social media at the New York Times back yeah. when you gave that job to a, somebody who just came out of college. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and uh, she went from there and, and created their huge yeah. online presence. And from oh, there, cool. she started a couple of companies, sold those yeah. off, and now she's got um, now she's got uh, Trail Mix Ventures. Mm. So uh, we had her in yeah. here at, at yeah. one yeah. of our What's Now, just kind of talking about her oh, cool. her journey and the things that she's doing. So yeah. yeah. Um, so how was it, you know, going to Georgetown? How come you didn't yeah. go to the School of Foreign Service? Right. I mean, everybody's there for international <laughs> affairs. Right? right, exactly. Um, well, I studied art history, so it's a little bit awesome. That was my that mind. That I've ended up where I am. <laughs> it's but, so cool. Yeah. Like, art history. So too. from art history to smart cities to, you know, digital identity <laughs> and standard <laughs> trajectory. Um, but just Georgetown is great because it's in the city, you know, right. it was very cool to go to college on kind of campus but also in the city environment to be on campus so what was your first job then was it before college did you do anything like how did you get this this idea to be an entrepreneur and Um, take on the sustainability my mom has her own business so I always watch my mom build a business um and then I went to a Quaker middle school and it was all about work and values and how to integrate those um so I'd say that my middle school was the most about like mission very mission-based and and business is mission. And so that was kind of what I was taught. And then when I got to Georgetown, that was always something that was interesting to me. All right. What, what, uh, so what was your first job? Was it straight out of college or did you do something? As a hostess. (laughs) In a restaurant? Yeah. In a restaurant in DC. And then my second job, I think, well, I graduated in let's say 2010. So there were no jobs. Right. You know? That's right. So we were all broke and living at home. Yeah. And I think I was tempting as a receptionist. And then it was out of fund to funds. And then eventually they hired me to do research. And so gradually worked my way up into there. And then I went to Jonathan Rose Companies, which was, you know, as I was researching and helping right. all these, you know, investment guys look at major opportunities, I was focused in on cities. And I was very interested in how cities could support democracy and make a better world for basically everyone that lived there this idea of this kind of urban utopia right Mm, you know i was an idealist and then that brought me into smart cities yeah so where were you hostessing was it someplace in georgetown yeah a restaurant uh, called hook right on street yeah yeah Yeah, i um uh, before I was in management consulting, I did political consulting. So yeah. I was in DC for a while as well. Oh, nice. So, yeah. and, and had friends that were 
you know, working at the American cafe or something yeah. like that, or, um, and, and, you know, we used to hang out in various places in Georgetown. I just yeah. didn't know. If you, right. had, you were like, there you go. It was a new one. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> right. It's such a simpler time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was tough coming out of that era. Yeah. Um, and because I, and I think a lot of people were kind of, you know, scarred by the great recession of yeah. 2008. So how did you think that's kind of influenced you in the way that you've been running your, your own company? Cause you started in like 2015 yeah. and how did, you know, you've kind of evolved over time to get to, yeah. to where you are. How do you think that? So I started, this is, a, it was really a research initiative. Like I was obsessed with this idea of every product having an identity and I went down the rabbit hole. Like I was going to visit waste management facilities on the weekends, being like, how do you store? No one was paying me. I didn't have a company. It was just really, and I learned what RFID was. I learned how the fashion wow. industry tagged. Like I was not privy to any of this. And so it might've looked a little bit crazy, but I was just researching it and almost got myself a PhD in the subject. <laughs> in deep, deep page 24 Google searches. Um, and then I think, we, as a company, are not very focused on um, necessarily scaling so, so quickly at the onset. We wanted to build like a strong foundation right. um, and build really meaningful partnerships before necessarily focusing on bringing in big venture money. So we've been mainly self-funded, re revenue generating from our projects, wow. um, really building in meaningful substance rather than focused on, you know, built, bringing in a lot of money before we have product market fit. Right. Um, and I think that's probably, you know, after 2008 mindset of really yeah. building something like that. Earning as you go. Yeah. So what's next? I mean, you've got the platform, yeah. you've got some good partners mm -hmm. that are part of it. How do you see yourself, you know, scaling? Yeah. where do you go from here? So now we are in a position where we've solved the major problems for ourselves and our clients that would enable us to help them do this at scale. Okay. And to enable them to do this at scale, right? We've built the standard, so that informs the whole Eon platform API, our data structure, how you know it enables us to integrate with the ERP system in a consistent way, right? Every time we approach a project now, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's one better for our clients and also better for the network and the systems that we're able to connect them to. Um, so by, by building it that way, we're now in a position where it's not really hard for us to take on a new project. We have a recipe. We can you know scale and roll it out consistently. So we're excited for 2020 because it means we'll be you know basically filling the channels with identities that we've now built. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, yeah this was really awesome. Learned a lot, and I think. Um, you know, I think you've through this conversation the the mission focus. I think that a lot of things kind of yeah. make sense now as to one your 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 company itself, but then yeah. also you as an entrepreneur and as a kind of a leader in this space. If you're mission focused, I think uh, success success right it will carry you through mm -hmm. going through a tons yeah. of garbage. Yeah, <laughs> 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 literally, a lot of trash. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks again. Thank you guys so much. We look forward to seeing you at NRF. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Thanks.